Hey, this is Rob Harder with Making Your World Better, a nonprofit leadership show where real stories from real people who are coming up with real solutions to solve society's biggest challenges. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? How do people fundraise in an economy that is constantly in flux? How do you relate to board members in a way that inspires them to make a difference? What are the best practices that separate effective nonprofits from others? It is my hope that through these episodes, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear real stories from real leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy this series as together we hear how they're making their world better. Well, in today's show, we have a very special guest. She is CEO and founder of Universal Giving. Her name is Pamela Hawley, and she has a really, really interesting take on the future of nonprofits and for-profits. In fact, she says in the future, the questions won't be so much, are you part of a nonprofit or a for-profit? The questions will be this, what are you doing for the world and how are you creating revenue? Both of those questions are applicable to both for-profits and non-profits. Um, so this interview is going to be one of those where you're going to be listening again and again and taking notes as you listen because Pamela has so much experience and she's been all over the world uh, in part of what she does for Universal Giving. She has a lot to share and you'll have a lot of takeaways. Enjoy today's show. It is great to have you on the show today, uh, all the way from the Bay Area of California. Um, now, before we get to Universal Giving, which is fascinating, and I can't wait to ask some questions about your organization there. Um, this is a nonprofit podcast, and so we talk a lot about nonprofit leadership and what really makes effective nonprofit organizations. So let me ask you to start out with, as a supporter of nonprofit organizations, what, in your opinion, is the most important role a nonprofit serves in our communities? Rob, first of all, thank you for having us. And I think a, a nonprofit really serves a very special role. We kind of grow up with a nonprofit, you know, providing these services, and we take it a little bit for granted. But I, I think it's actually a lot more than services. If you look at it, Rob, a lot of nonprofits are created because of the breakdown of our family or the breakdown of our community. So if there isn't a family structure and if the children or if even parents aren't being supported enough in order to create a thriving, strong, healthy family, then nonprofits are often created to come in and do that. And whether that's providing extra types of food or bags of food that are delivered, extra tutoring for the children, obviously not all parents should or, or decide to send their kids to, to private school or you know, not all schools have all the resources that kids need if they have certain learning needs that they have. So part of it's whether the family breaks down, part of the family doesn't have enough resources. And so to me, nonprofits aren't just this ancillary, oh, this is a nice thing to do on the side. They're coming in to strengthen the community fabric. They're coming in to strengthen the family network. And I believe that they can be a glue that helps keep families together, which really really makes our nation and our world stronger. Yeah, that's great. I completely agree with that. Now, going into a second question, why are you personally involved with promoting nonprofits? You obviously work all over the world now and support various nonprofits. What is your personal motivation for this? You know, Rob, I'm pretty strict about this. I think that after seeing some pretty life-changing circumstances in really, really severe developing countries where I was visiting countries where genocide was still kind of present in the minds of people and, 
and a whole generation had been wiped out. And I saw a lot of these people on the ground, many of them very humble, very heartfelt. And I've very much decided that my full life needs to be devoted to the community so that we can make sure that these really horrific situations in many, many times in developing nations all across the world stop. And for me, while it's the entire world that needs help, a lot of times our money can do so much more when it goes to a developing nation. If you look at it, Rob, $10 here can buy a sandwich. But if you look at it, $10 in Tanzania, it can buy a week of, of food for a family. And so my heart is really about helping where our money can go the most. And I see my whole life just devoted to this, Rob, because I cannot stand by and see this happen. It's not It's not right. And, and we shouldn't stand by or wait until later in life. There's always something we can do right now. And I don't think that we can stand and wait for the world to change later or for us to jump in later. We all need to do our part now to change some of these dire circumstances. Yeah, it's very obvious that you still have a lot of passion there as you talk about why you do what you do. Now, let's go into a universal giving. Talk a little bit about how you got this started. Um, you mentioned earlier that you work with um, Fortune 500 companies. You maybe work with high net worth individuals that like to give. Plus, of course, you vet out all these nonprofits around the world that you put on your universal giving website. And as I look at the website, I mean, you do all kinds of things. It's wonderful. Uh, talk about what prompted you to start it and why did you start something like universal giving? Well, you know, Rob, I had been doing a lot of volunteering ever since the age of 12. And then when I could, I started volunteering all over the world. And I was very causeless. I I was volunteering to help work on um, preserving the, the Amazon River in Ecuador. I was working on the earthquake crisis in El Salvador. I was working with the victims of Pol Pot's regime in Cambodia. And I think that once I saw the web and saw the advent of the web, Rob, I fell in love again. First I fell in love with serving the world, and then I fell in love with the web because what came to me was, oh, my goodness, we can scale this to thousands of people serving all over the world. And to me, to marry the calling of volunteering and then allowing thousands of millions of people to volunteer all over the world, that just seemed like probably this is the most exciting thing that I've ever heard of. So really universal giving is that genesis of that personal story that service was absolutely supposed to be the number one priority in my life. And number two, marrying it with the web. And so that was really just kind of the advent for universal giving. Now we have hundreds of nonprofits that we serve on a daily basis, helping drive donors and volunteers and needed marketing to these local remote nonprofits on the ground. Rob, our goal is to get it to the nonprofits that no one knows about that are doing really effective work, Mm -hmm. that are local leaders who really understand the local situation. And these these wonderful, heartfelt leaders, they don't have social media pages. They don't have a marketing budget. They Sometimes Mm -hmm. they don't even have people who are paid staff. Yet we know, and we've vetted them, and we know they are qualified, long-term people who are making their communities stronger. And therefore, we want more people to know about them. So we really think that universal giving is a pivotal role in helping bring to light the most effective nonprofit leaders across our world who are really changing the world from the inside out, inside their communities, not coming from outside. They're local leaders on the ground who really know what they're talking about, and they need the donors, the volunteers, and the marketing awareness to do it. And that's what we do. We bring funds and volunteers and new awareness about them. And that's why Universal Giving's here. 
What a great mission. And it's obvious to me, as you explain this, that you're giving much more exposure and marketing and help to nonprofits that most people would never have heard of otherwise. I mean, maybe except for their you know closest relatives or uh, really close family, friends or whatever. Otherwise, these nonprofits are going unnoticed and your organization's really getting them on the map. I love it. It's a great mission. Now, a question for you. How do you vet these organizations? You've got all kinds of nonprofits on your website. As again, I scan through your website. Um, do you personally go to these uh, remote countries and meet with them one-on-one? Um, do you have a list of questions that you go by? How do you go about doing the vetting process. And then uh, when it comes to your questions, how do you determine who you will support or who you won't support? Talk about that a little bit. Well, Rob, that's a very good question. And I think that it's a model that's constantly iterating. When we first started out, when I got back from international travel, I knew immediately that if I wanted to get people to fund nonprofits across the world, I needed to figure out some vetting stages that would allow them to feel secure and trusting that their donation was going to the right place. If they couldn't walk across the block to see the nonprofit and check it out, I knew we needed to have some strong vetting. And so we had six stages, which primarily went over financials and other things of that nature when we first started out. Rob, we now have 24 stages, and we've just actually added the 25th um, because we believe it's very important to be responsive to our clients and to the, the donors and volunteers that we serve. And we vet very much like a venture capitalist. Most vetters these days, if they vet at all, they vet just the financials or they look at overhead. Certainly that's important. But when you look at what a venture capitalist looks for, they look first of all to see, is this a good idea? Second, they look to see, is there a marketplace for it? And third, what they say is, who is leading this? Who is the management team? The venture capitalists aren't going to come in and run it. If it's a good idea in a good marketplace and there isn't good management, either they're not going to fund it or they're going to bring in management. And most VCs don't like to bring in management from day one. They want to know that you're assembling a great team. And so it's really the same thing for us. We look and say, is this a good idea? Is there a need for this in that community? And then we look at and we say, who are the leaders? Now, some of the most effective leaders we've supported have been on the ground doing the same thing for 22 years and doing it better. That shows us they're committed. That shows us that we have right people in place. You know, you can have great, all these laws and regulations and all these formulas, you know, governing your nonprofit. But if the leader isn't following them and if the leader doesn't have integrity and if the leader doesn't have the right vision, you're not going anywhere. So our tra- our model is trademarked. It's proprietary. It's a secret sauce. I'm sure venture capitalists feel the same way about what they do when they vet their organizations. They have their own way yeah, of doing sure. it. We take this very seriously. And at the same time, we cherish and we love all nonprofits and we still have a way to feature and promote them in other ways. So we don't, we don't really turn down nonprofits because we, we have a full database of nonprofits that we can help recommend to people when they want to recommend them. Obviously, mm-hmm. we don't recommend ones that are involved in terrorism or fraud or things of that nature. Um, but you know, we always sure. believe that we should be able to give nonprofits the opportunity if they're able to change or improve. But, you know, if we really want philanthropy to to increase and to grow, Rob, we have to have trust. We have to have confidence. We have to have inspiration. And we need to know that these nonprofits are being run effectively. So Universal Giving really sees that as our job. And we have a team of vetters that are 24-7, multilingual, all over the world, that are helping ensure Universal Giving drives towards bringing our donors and volunteers to the top NGOs from all over the world. 
Very helpful information. Now, what about you? Now, how do you support your organization? How do you generate funds for universal giving? Now, that's a very good question, Rob, and it's a very important one for nonprofits and social entrepreneurs all over the world. Um, you know, universal giving helps people donate and volunteer, and 100% goes direct to the cause. We don't, we don't take a cut. We never have, and we've always stayed with that as part of our mission. We want those funds going exactly to where they should be, which are to those local nonprofit leaders on the ground. So we've never taken a cut, and we never will. And that instills a lot of confidence in our donors and us who come to our website. They come and they give $25 to feed a family in Sudan, or they might give $50 to help uh, build a well in Haiti. And so it's, it's something that they want that confidence that their money is going direct. Having said that, I fundraise for the organization. We have a strong board, and we have people who give to us, and that's important to have. And so you do want to make sure you have a strong fundraising base. We also have a very creative strategy because we work in kind of a multifaceted way for funding. So we fundraise ourselves, and then we also use a program called Amazon Smile. So many of you shop on Amazon.com, and when you do, you can choose universal giving as your nonprofit. And when you do that, then a certain percentage of your purchases go to support universal giving. So we love programs like Amazon Smile that support us and we support them that while you shop, a percentage of your shopping is going to universal giving. But even further than that, as a leader, you need to think strategically about how you can generate revenue. And for us, that's universal giving corporate. We go into Fortune 500 companies and help them with their CSR, their corporate social responsibility programming, and help them with strategy, the operations, the NGO vetting, and dispersing of funds. So, for example, if you look at Cisco and Gap, two of our top clients, we go in and we help them determine who are the right NGOs to fund. We ensure that they're creditable by vetting them with anywhere from 18 to 24 stages of vetting. And then we disperse funds out for them so that their funds are sure to be getting to the top places. And that's something that's incredibly important to our clients. We have very long-term retention rates, and they know that we're watching out for them. And so that we want to make sure that their giving and their volunteer efforts are going to absolute maximum impact all over the world. And that, Rob, is how we generate revenue. So we've got a mission that's free, people donating, volunteering, Joe Smith volunteering and donating all over the world. That's all free. And then we go into the companies and we generate revenue by handling much of their CSR programs and vetting their NGOs and dispersing the funds. Very interesting to know how you are organized and how you generate revenue. Okay, now moving on to healthy nonprofits and healthy nonprofit leaders. You've obviously been exposed to a lot of different really good nonprofits and maybe not so good nonprofits, and you've seen some really good leaders and maybe some not so good leaders. So talk about that. In your opinion, what are the traits of a healthy nonprofit and what are the traits of a healthy and effective nonprofit leader? Well, first of all, I think for a healthy nonprofit, you certainly have a lot of people coming in with wonderful hearts, really great hearts, and that's that's important, and it's key to the soul and the culture of the organization. However, what's really important for a healthy nonprofit is you've got to make sure that you've got a, a multi-strategy, diverse way to fund your organization. If you're cash-strapped, uh, you're constantly running after money, first of all, you're distracted from your vision. You'll never reach it. And number two, it's very, very tough and demoralizing on your team. So you want to make sure that you really capitalize the organization. 
And that's not something that's natural for a lot of people who have a heart story. And so I'm very encouraged by the fact that we're getting more and more social entrepreneurs coming into our marketplace and that they're thinking strategically about how to fund the nonprofit. And, you know, a social entrepreneurship organization isn't just a well-run nonprofit. It could be a nonprofit, a for-profit, a hybrid that has a good, strong social mission and cause and has a way to generate revenue. Exactly what we talked about with universal giving, that we've got a free public service allowing people to donate money, give $25 to build a well in Tanzania, or, you know, go volunteer to clean up a river in Ecuador. And then we have our corporate service that helps fund us. I think that that's, you know, really that the way that nonprofits and other organizations are headed is to have that kind of uh, bifurcated model. So you've got to have good capitalization. Second, you have to have vision. You have to have a leader that's got a unique vision of where the nonprofit is going. I think that's super important. And then third, you've got a desire and, and to want to build a team, a team of committed people who are loyal to the organization, loyal to the leader, who are really excited about seeing this vision happen. And those three things, I think, are absolutely imperative to a well-run organization, an organization that will be successful for the long term. Now, you know, what makes a successful organization versus a successful leader? Those three things I just mentioned are pretty much intertwined between the two. But I would say that the leader, you have to be extremely, you need to be visionary, you need to be prudent about the funds, you need to build a good team, but you also have to be able to stay on top of trends, and you also have to be relentless and perseverant. Mm -hmm. You may go Mm -hmm. through some tough times. That's not always things that you share with the public or share with your team. You need to have a real strong basis of support, either internally or externally, that allows you as a leader to be very calm, press forward despite some really tough challenges, and stick with it. And I don't know how much of that can be taught. That's something that uh, yeah. you, you prove over a lifetime. It's really not something that one can vet for before. You bring up a really good point there. And, you know, it was interesting. I was just reading an article the other day about the founder of Tom's Shoes. And he was talking about his time when he was leading Tom's Shoes and how here's a for-profit organization that's giving a large majority, uh, I don't know what exact percentage, but a, a lot of the money that was generated through his business to nonprofit causes, you know, supporting all kinds of good causes around the world. Um, so are you seeing a trend as you talk about social entrepreneurship, um, which I also, everything that I'm reading, I see that as becoming more of a trend. Are you seeing from your vantage point that uh, the way nonprofits do their business, if you will, is completely changing? In other words, are they? Uh, do you recommend nonprofits to be more like for-profits in the sense of having a little bit more business savvy and coming up with a way to create revenue so they can have a more uh, of an impacted reach? Talk about that a little bit more. Absolutely, Rob. I think that is the essence of social entrepreneurship, and I do have a unique definition of social entrepreneurship. It's not just running an organization with a social mission, nor is it running an organization with uh, financial uh, revenue. You've got to have both. Hmm. If you are a social entrepreneur, you are mission-driven, and you have found a creative, mission-related way to generate revenue. And that really is what's happening now and the future of our landscape, not just for nonprofits. And not just for for for-profits, but also for Fortune 500 companies, Rob. I mean, when you look at it, Mm. Fortune 500 companies, they are all seeking ways that they are significantly giving back and significantly giving back that is tied into their product. 
Another, you know, great one out there is Cliff Bars. I mean, if you look at Cliff Bars, yeah. they have special mm-hmm. ways to recycle their wrapper. They use every single scrap. They are one of the most sustainable companies inside that I know of. They're absolutely incredible. And so they're such a model for other companies. They might not be at the absolute top of the Fortune 500 list, but they are an absolute model of being very, very thoughtful of, of creating a healthy product. Number two, creating revenue because they're selling their product. And number three, making sure their company is sustainable. And what I mean by sustainable is not just fiscally sustainable. I mean that every single scrap of what they're using doesn't go to waste. They're incredibly environmentally brilliant in what they do. And I think another company that's like that is REI, which is a kind of sports equipment, athletic enthusiast company. Right. You know, they're absolutely incredible. On uh, on Black Friday, you know, where people shop, they shut down their entire company and told everyone to go out hiking. So the employees could go out hiking, and they said, no, we're not buying into the shopping day. That would have been a lot of revenue for them, right? They said, no, we're going to stay with our core mission. We're going to stay with our core principles, and we're going to get the word out that we are going to celebrate the earth and be environmental. And I think a lot of them even went and did volunteering as well, too. And so I highly respect those, you know, nonprofits, hybrids, for-profits, Fortune 500 companies, because all of us are striving to have a social mission and to generate revenue. And in a lot of ways, it's becoming a very blended family, which is, you know, I'm not really sure, yeah. but in the future, will we be asking, are you nonprofit? Are you for-profit? Are you Fortune 500? The point is, it's not going to be asked that, Rob. They're going to be asking, what do you do for the world and how do you make money? And that is where I think our world is headed, and I'm super excited to see that unfold. Yeah, that's a really interesting take on the future of nonprofits, if you will. And everything that I'm reading that you are pretty much in line with, it seems like the future movement of where a lot of nonprofits and for-profits are moving. So here's my question for your, quote, traditional nonprofit, you know, the organization that pretty much just relies completely on donation, has done it for years, and actually is doing pretty well so far, and so far has been sustainable. Do you recommend them to switch their model? Should they go to a little bit more of a social entrepreneurial model, or should they just keep going the direction they're going. Uh, what advice would you give to a traditional nonprofit? You know what, Rob? I celebrate that. If that is what the nonprofit is doing, then first of all, wonderful work. If they've had sustainability for quite some time, that means with, with supporters who are supporting them with donations, that means they built up an incredible network of people who care about them and support their mission and for good reason. And I celebrate that. And that means that they found their kind of secret sauce And they've also found a purity, which is, you know what, we know what we're doing and we know we do it well. And I'll give you an example of that. It's an organization called CASA, which is Court Appointed Special Advocates. And it's where they go in and they help foster care youth and they assign them a court appointed advocate who makes sure sure that the foster care youth gets all the services that they're entitled to have, whether it's vision and glasses or extra schooling or transitional housing or food certificates, anything that they need. Um, we have a tremendous issue in our foster care system. Uh, many of the foster care children graduate, quote-unquote, at the age 18, and they're on their own. They, they, they don't have families. Can you imagine being on your own at 18? And so this, you know, we have a, yeah. a regulation in California called AB12, which extends foster care to 21, which is wonderful because we need to be able to provide for them. CASA is, operates mostly off of donations. And people are saying, yes, we need to support these kids. What I would say is then if you're supported by the donations and you've done that well, just make sure you've got plans in place to continue to do it well 
you know, when there's a tough mm-hmm. economy, when things like that change, make sure you can handle the bumps in the road. But I actually wouldn't encourage them to generate revenue unless they find someone who knows how to do it. Because if it's not in your toolbox, if it's not in your mission, then you don't want to distract from your mission, Rob. And then that takes away from the heart and soul of what you're doing. You're doing very successfully. Now, I don't, then I wouldn't call that organization social entrepreneurship. They're a pure, straight up hmm. nonprofit. And there's nothing wrong with that. Got it. Okay, that's very helpful. So again, in your mind, the key is sustainability. In other words, if a non-traditional nonprofit is doing fine and they're staying sustained uh, in the way they're going about their fundraising, then you say don't change. But if they're struggling, then you're recommending them to become a little bit more of a social entrepreneur where you're adding some of those uh, maybe for-profit business uh, principles to put into your nonprofit in order to generate more revenue and have a greater impact. Is that right? That's right. That's absolutely right. Because if yeah. you are struggling and you want to improve, right? None of us wants to go yeah. once a month or anything like that. So if there's a struggle, it's nothing wrong. To me, that's always an opportunity. What's the opportunity of how you can get better and strengthen your organization? Yeah, this is a very interesting discussion. I think we could talk about this more. In fact, we'd uh, maybe bring you back to another uh, podcast one of these days to uh, have you talk about that a little bit more because I think there are some things changing on the nonprofit landscape along those lines. Let me ask you one more question. Um, When it comes to government and how it relates to nonprofits, um, what in your mind is the ideal situation? In other words, how should nonprofits relate to government ideally? And vice versa, how should government relate to nonprofits? Talk about that. You know, I have to say that I have we have not at Universal Giving uh, applied for or received government funding. And a lot of nonprofits have to kind of operate on their own without, you know, government support. There's an incredible role that the government plays, and I've seen this firsthand by being involved in the foster care system. There are so many benefits. It is unbelievable what is provided for foster care youth, for homeless people, for uh, young families struggling, trying to get a job and trying to get payments for their apartment or affordable housing. I am so impressed with how many services our government offers in contradistinction to what happens in other countries. In many other countries, it's non-existent. It's absolutely incredible what we have in the United States as far as what we provide for people. I know in San Francisco, we have a tremendous homeless problem. It's something that they were all desperately working on, and we hope we can improve it. At the same time, I am so impressed that through the hard work of many nonprofits and our government services, every single day and night of the week, there's a place to sleep and there's a place to get food. And I can't say that. I can't say that about Uganda. I can't say that about Mm. uh, Sudan. I can't say that about Haiti. And so, you know, I have a tremendous... While I do wish, I will say this, I certainly wish, and oh my goodness, I would love to get in there and streamline and make our government more efficient on all levels. Mm-hmm. I really would. I think having said that, I still appreciate the motive and intent of the services that our government provides, and a lot of those services are taken advantage of. And I think we're just sitting, if you are someone in need, you're sitting on a gold mine in the U.S. Because we have so many ways to help, so many free ways to get food, to get um, clothing, to get groceries, uh, clothing stores, so many things. You can even get glasses for free. I mean, it's just unbelievable what we have. And so I do, I never take for granted after seeing volunteering all over the world, I never take for granted the wealth that the U.S. provides for every single person here. 
and we should never take that for granted. And so I really ask that all of, you know, the audience listening today, get out there and volunteer. Get out there and give of your heart. Even if it's only once a month, there's a way you can help clean up a beach. There's a way that you can help tutor a neighbor's child. It doesn't even need to be formal volunteering. Perhaps you see that someone at your church or at your work is struggling through a divorce. Maybe you could bring them blueberry muffins. I mean, really, this is about very similar to our to our vision at Universal Giving, which is create a world where giving and volunteering are a natural part of everyday life. And just just integrate it into your life. You don't have to wait. There's a way to give. There's a way to volunteer now. We hope you visit us at universalgiving.org and that, that you take action today. Okay, so are we hearing that you're going to be in the future running for senator soon? Is that what we're hearing? Question mark. <laughs> you know, I don't, I, I do, you can ask my team this. I, I very much like being efficient. I don't, I don't know if I would be, uh, you know, if, gosh, if I could, if I could run and I could, oh, I've got some, some people that I would love to bring in. They'd be very efficient that way. I, I would love to see our world and its resources um, dispersed out with more efficiency. Let's just leave it at that, Rob. <laughs> oh, that's great. We just thought we have a little fun there. But uh, thank you so much again, Pamela, for being on the show. It's obvious that you have a lot of experience. You have examined and vetted a lot of nonprofits. So you have a lot of great advice for those who are listening to this podcast, how to make their nonprofit better, what the future trends are, etc. So thank you again for taking time to be on the show. Now tell us again, how can people find out more about you and about Universal Giving? What is the website? Yes, thank you so much. It's www universalgiving.org. Absolutely. Well, thanks again, Pamela. Uh, it's been great having you on the show. And again, you've shared so many insights. For those who are listening, one more time, it's CEO and founder of Universal Giving, Pamela Holly. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you, Rob. And don't forget that we are on iTunes and you can go to iTunes and just type in Nonprofit Leadership Podcast or Rob Harder and this podcast should pop up. We also encourage you when you go on iTunes, let us know what you think. We'd love to know uh, your thoughts on this uh, podcast. If you like it, please rate us, uh, give us a review. Let us know what topics you'd like us to cover or people that are doing great work like Pamela around the country and uh, we'd love to get them on the show. So let us know. If you'd like to find us on the web, you can also go to the website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org or my website, robharder.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, have a great week. 